Hello and welcome back to another episode of MCU Into the Dark, a podcast dedicated to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and everything you need to know. I'm Jude. And I'm Daniel. Yes. Trey disappeared. <laughs> and, you know, he was supposed to be here. We had friend Daniel lined up as a guest and... Luckily, um, I'm here. You know? Yeah, I know, right? At least, so, at least someone showed. I think he fled the country. I know. I think he did flood the country. Yeah, geez. yeah. I, I've been looking forward to this. Yeah, we've had a plan for this for a while. Yeah, yeah. Because like, so Trey is on vacation, left the country, and I had two episodes immediately, variety of choices. But I think it's interesting that we went from me talking you into guesting once to you becoming the universal friend and just bouncing back and forth between <laughs> this and Terrace pod. It would have started with, with, I think I, I, I became a fan and then you were like, we got to have you on. And I think I was on Tara's first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it just kept going. Well, and it's, you're great at it. It's great. I got this fancy mic. I know. And right? I get to talk about the MCU and it gives me excuses to watch and rewatch and think about things. And it's fun. It's, yeah. it's, it's genuinely, it makes me excited. And um, I remember when you asked me, I've, I've never said no to any of you. And um, a lot of times it's, it's just a matter of when. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, I, was, I was a little bit sad because I wasn't able to get into the theater soon enough to see the most recent release Eternals to be yeah. on your reaction. Not to say that I would, I was going to be on the reaction, but you know, I was, I was sad about that Yeah, because well, we would have, we would have had you. If it I know, out. I know, but it, it didn't work out. And so, um, but I'm very, I'm actually glad because I like to be a, a listener as well. Mm-hmm. But when you asked me, Jude, to be on, I, I think I immediately pitched this to you or did I, was it like a week or so when I pitched this to you? Uh, no, it was almost immediate. Okay. It was probably the next day. Cause I asked, I was like, what would you want to talk about topic episode? Mm-hmm. Um, cause for the most part you've done reviews with us. Yeah. And then last time you were on with Tara, you all had the, 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 the snooty, snooty academic lens. The, uh, the, the one episode I did with you that was topical was what can we learn from the Disney plus? Oh, that's those. right. That's right. That was after uh Loki. But yeah. I, I pitched this to you because um, you and I have always talked, it, and it's usually in relationship to culture and theology, but we always talk about aesthetics. And mm-hmm. um, it's something that's playing, I mean, it's what we're, it, if you're going to be honest, it's what we're talking about half the time. Because right. when you're not talking about the narrative, you're talking about the aesthetic in, in the broadest sense. But I just like, I like the... Um, I like the opportunity to really focus in on uh, on this. And I know, given your background in film and, and your knowledge of film criticism, and you know what it was, Jude? It was, um, I think it was right around the time I was trying to understand Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> and if friend, you know, you, you podcast listeners, if you want to know what I'm talking about, you need to jump onto the Discord and go into the conversation about movies and TV and go backwards mm-hmm. a little bit. And you'll see, I, I had this like existential crisis because I'm a huge science fiction fan, especially like cyberpunk and dystopian stuff. And I had never been able to watch Blade Runner 
and I can't, I couldn't understand its impact and why it's celebrated. And I, I still can't really, <laughs> it's boring. <laughs> the story's kind of, I don't really gonna, you know, follow the story, but I, I, I did it really to watch the second one. Um, which I really mm-hmm. enjoyed, and um, and to say, call me sacrilege or whatever, but I've got, I've got, you know, got a lot of history with science fiction, so I, I, I mm-hmm. feel like I could hold my own against someone who'd wanna. One of my good friends loves Blade Runner, so I was like, what? Um, but that I think you had recommended a book, yes, from um, the the British Film Institute, and yes. I think that's why, that's I think that's the impetus. So thank you, Jude, for. Hey, you're welcome. Getting the ball rolling. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, you know what? It's interesting because when I did my study abroad, I had a membership to the British Film Institute. Um, And we got, uh, mainly because we used their their library to do research while we were there for our research paper. And just like a true student, six weeks over there, and I did all my research in the last... I don't know Two how days. many. Yeah, like a, <laughs> forty-eight hours. <laughs> look, I, I spent the rest of the time, and even even the professor told us ahead of time. He's like, "Don't worry about it. Enjoy your trip. I'll put an incomplete in the grade book, and you can turn it into me later." Oh, that's the British way. Yeah, that's he, the British way. He, yeah, he told me up front. It, it was, was ex- just, it was exactly the same way in my grad school. It was the same way. Yeah, like <laughs> I had an incomplete, not because I hadn't finished the paper, but because the professor didn't grade the paper for like a semester. <laughs> yeah they operated on the british style yeah, yeah. so those of you downloaded it yeah we just talking around it we download this uh podcast we are going to talk about the mcu aesthetic um it's funny you mentioned the um we're going to get around to defining it you mentioned blade runner 2049 mm-hmm. i know you just mm-hmm. saw dune and mm-hmm. so you're really getting into, I mean, with the idea of aesthetic, you know, Dennis Villeneuve has his particular aesthetic, um, mm-hmm. aesthetic that you get, you see traces of it in Dune, you see traces of it in Sicario, you know, in that thread, MCU has a clear one, but this is one of the things I think is going to be most interesting about it. And Nolan has his, right? Yes. Yeah. But those, it's the same director and you have that same aesthetic, you know, you're watching a yeah. Nolan film and so forth. Well, the, the idea of the auteur, I think, I think is a, a powerful concept, like the, the, the director as author mm-hmm. and the director is the prime artist, you know, uh, guiding the vision of the story, and so you've got there. I mean, movies are a dime a dozen. You've got so many movies coming out, but when you when you identify an auteur from you know from years past, you're you're talking about John Ford and Howard Hawks and mm-hmm. and and uh, 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 you know Orson Welles. Oh yeah, and then you know bringing that forward, we've got you know Denny Villeneuve and. Quentin Tarantino and mm-hmm. you know Christopher Nolan, you yeah. know, among well, the and you best had this whole of- well, you had this whole group that like were the George Lucases, mm-hmm. um, Spielberg, uh, Coppola, all of yeah. those guys that were considered the film school brats, yeah, who you know went to film school and studied those other guys, John Ford and all that, um, mm-hmm. you know, and where it really develops, but the MCU, you know, and is different because it's different directors and yeah and this mismatch thing but yet they somehow to pull off this cohesive world and it's cohesive and it's in its artistic it's like reading 
the way I think about it is it's it's one of its achievements, obviously, and we talk about this here and we talk about it on on our friend TK's pod um, about the the, the way the intertextuality, like the way that mm-hmm. these stories narratively run into each other. But I think another reason why there's this um, cohesion is because there is a there's a um, there's a continuity of aesthetic. And for some people, I know that's that's a turnoff because it's like you're just getting the same movie, right? But but I don't th- I, for me, it's like you're reading different volumes of a comic, and you may have different writers and different artists, but it's the same book or it's the mm-hmm. same. It's this, and, and and you can tell too. Sometimes you read a comic book and it's like way out there, and you're like, I don't really like that one because it doesn't fall within that range mm-hmm. of what of how you imagine that character. And then there's those times when you get a book that's like really out there, but it's really good because it it presents the character in a new way that's mm-hmm. like you hadn't thought of before. Mm-hmm. And so I can think I'm all these examples in my head are are popping up with movies in that analogy. What do you think? Well, I think it's interesting you brought up comics because when you think about the artist and just sticking with Marvel, some people would say, I like the Ditko Spider-Man. Some people would say Mm -hmm. John Ramada Sr., John Ramada Jr. Mm -hmm. Um, Depending on when you're collected, it was Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. Yes. Um, You know, I think most recently the one I'm familiar with was Ramos um, Spider-Man. I can't remember Mm -hmm. the artist's first name now. Uh, My favorite comic book artist, Todd Nock, the way he draws his stuff, especially when it's the 90s or the Jim Lee X-Men. Yeah. I just, for some reason, his rendition of the those characters, like, oh, that's the X-Men. They're that's the template. Spider-Man. Yep. Yeah. But, it's, but it still is a distinct style than, say, um, J. Scott Campbell is another artist. It's kind of, it's kind of a, debatably a controversial artist. Yeah. But yeah, like, but each one, and they have their own little take on it. You like know, or, like or, when I was... And, and then, as I say, you could say the same thing about the story because Whedon wrote some X Men stuff and Claremont right. wrote some X Men stuff. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I, I am. That's how kind of I'm. I'm thinking about about this. Um, I went online and found a definition for f- just so we have some grounding. And um, the good thing about definitions is they're a starting point. They're not a. They're not an ending point. You know. So mm-hmm. this is a starting with the. The aesthetic, I liked this. It was it was off. I googled it and it was off some website. So take it for what it's worth. Um, the aesthetic is the way a film's visual and aural features are used to create essentially non-narrative dimensions of the film, including the film's look. Aesthetics can be understood to relate to the style, tone, look, or mood of a film. And I think you know in our in our discussions leading up to this episode, Jude, I think that pretty much covers what we meant because we we went on this whole you know um rabbit hole about dialogue right you know but but it's it's really like the form of yes. of the film not yes. not the not the story yes so for for our listeners that's i think that kind of gathers together what what we what we mean when we say aesthetic mm-hmm. it's like the feel the look the tone sound cinematography costumes the st- cutting editing how the how the dialogue is is presented yeah you 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 would always throw tarantino 
Uh, well, he has, a, as, he has a particular style. Mm-hmm. Um, him and Sorkin are the two that always come to right. mind of this fast paced lot of words. And, and, and Whedon has, because mm-hmm. cause I know you have a question, you have a question later to, to ask about, yeah. that, but he's got a certain, and so does uh, Taika Watiti. Mm-hmm. I think he definitely has um, uh, a, a very, you know, a vision that kind of informs his his comedy and the way that he approaches story and um even favreau you know like if you watch elf and you watch iron man like there's some there's something there you know Mm -hmm. it's not well it's not as go back go back to his first right swingers oh yeah you know i love that movie yeah yeah jeez yeah there is a particular uh, cadence maybe mm-hmm. uh, that comes with it. So yeah. Mm-hmm. So dialogue definitely fits in that way. Yeah. And and so I didn't know, I didn't know if you wanted to add to that definition or anything. No, I think that's a wonderful definition. Mm-hmm. I Let's, um, as you said, working definition. Got it. Cool. One last thing in our defining terms and just for our sake, Disney plus seems to throw a monkey wrench in this is, are we treating that as all part of MCU or are we treating that separate? Um, and mainly because it's, it's, it's long form versus a, a film. Well, I mean, if you add up the, if you add up the hours that make up infinity war and Endgame, <laughs> Yeah. That's, that's a, that's roughly the time of Disney running Plus, time yeah. of wand and vision. And no, I think, I think it's fair to, to make it distinct because mm-hmm. there is definitely a difference for better, for worse of the episodic versus right. the film, the film episode. Cause the films, the films are relatively self-contained um, even though they fall within a broader narrative arc, the shows episode by episode definitely are not that, but it's too, it's, we, if you go back and listen to past episodes of MC, you need to know, you discover the way that you and Trey wrestled with that format at the mm-hmm. beginning with WandaVision, which I think was more successful versus Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which even the director said, this is like a six hour movie. Yeah. And you're like, but it's not, it's a six it's episode yeah. TV show. So, so like if I had approached it as a six hour movie and just played it, that makes more sense, but it was presented as a, as a TV show. So that's a limitation. And, right. and I, I, my, where I landed was with Loki in my view was like, did a very good job of, of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of the reason why WandaVision was so successful is because episodes on TV was like a prime aspect of that yes. show, yes. you know? And so, oh, and so yeah. it kind of was built in, but I, I don't think, I don't think we need to separate them as much as they, they're a part of, I think they're, they're a part of the MCU obviously, but, but it's like, um, it's like there, it's a new step in, their creative output and it's distinct. So, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I think it's, I think um, there's, there's definitely resonances, but then there's other aspects that just really go in new directions. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I'm going to find really interesting is when Moon Knight comes out, because I believe that mm-hmm. one would be the first one with a different yep. director for each episode. And so that question oh. would be really interesting to revisit. Which, 
That was more like was Daredevil different directors like the original the, the, the uh, Marvel I think so. Studios Daredevil. I think so. You had the one yeah, show runner. Like those shows were those were more like TV shows, you mm-hmm. know. Um, whereas the the Disney Plus shows we've gotten are like pretty, pretty. It's one vision. Yes. The other thing about Moon Knight, we we talked about this on the the episode where I was on where we talked about lessons learned was Moon Knight's really. Well, would Hawkeye fall under this category now? Were we expecting Hawkeye before Moon Knight? I don't. Mm, I don't think so. I think Actually, Hawkeye kind of came as a surprise. Uh, I think we were expecting it. I kind of uh, well, want to okay, say. Okay, so here's what I'm talking. Here's what I'm talking about. When we had that episode, we were talking about lessons learned from TV shows, from the Disney Plus shows, and and we were saying that like. Nothing so far has been informed by what they might have learned from making those shows because they've are they're already in production. Like Loki's in production, Loki's done. You know, like they they were they were already in production and being right. being finished when WandaVision started and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And and I think in that episode we we were, were our eyes were on Moon Knight as the first example of a Disney Plus show that had been fully produced after, yeah, like. WandaVision and Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Loki, but maybe Hawkeye falls in that category on some level. I don't know how far along into production they were. Yeah. Like it's like so they probably had an opportunity to you know, take in the reception and kind of learn some things. Well, I think mm-hmm. probably mm-hmm. putting out two episodes on the first drop. Mm-hmm is is part of that lessons learned yeah because they did that with wandavision even though they weren't originally going to yeah 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 so i don't know i just i remember being surprised by hawkeye i I knew about moon knight i was getting gearing up for it and i just was like Mm -hmm. oh okay i just didn't realize you know yeah in my in just in how i keep track of things so, um, yeah. and, and as I told you off pod, I'm getting very excited about it. Cause I've been reading a lot of the comics. So. Oh, me too. Um, me too. But yeah. So, so anyway, long story yeah. short, um, Disney plus shows. Yes. Part of the conversation, but I think it's fair to say that they are a, um, a, uh, an outgrowth in and of mm-hmm. themselves unique. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Okay. That is fair. I mean, if you if you go, if you go back to our our um so so, I was just well, cause, recently cause, on because part of this I'm I'm looking at some of some of what what we're defining, and I agree with you very much of like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, felt would have worked better as a TV show rather than a six hour movie, whereas Loki yeah. very much I think functioned and worked really well. Yeah. Um. In both, if I did a six-hour watch, but also as a TV show, like it, like yeah. it, it, it was able to do both. Of course, mm-hmm. it did because it's Loki. Mm-hmm. But I credit that with the the showrunner, um, as just I, I don't know the this the story was tighter, you know, mm-hmm. than Loki, and and the and the the aesthetic mm-hmm. was because I, I talked about aesthetics a lot when I was talking about Loki, and mm-hmm. when I think about Loki, I feel like the aesthetic was tighter. And the story was tighter, but I mean, in fairness, Loki was really focused on Loki, and then all this cool stuff that came out of it. Whereas Falcon and Winter Soldier, there was so much they were trying to do too much. I remember Trey saying mm-hmm. that at the beginning, 
And I didn't want to agree with him, but I, I think I agree with him now. Like they were just yeah. trying to do too much. Yeah. So to cram it all in. So let me ask you this. Get into the aesthetics and, you know, you find terms and, and all. Mm-hmm. If if Loki's a good example, a good example of mm. what you're hoping for, right? Aesthetics, yep. top to bottom. What else in the MCU yep. does that for you? Um, Black Panther. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't fair because as I've said in previous places, it is the platonic form of an MC, MCU movie. I mean, it has yes. literally has everything. Um, I almost think it's not fair to compare that to to anything else because it's so perfect. Yeah. Um, but like, but like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, it's the it's the music, it's the it's the it's the um, the way that the the way that emotion plays, um, the uh, the just the the color and the hue, mm-hmm. the tone. It's it's there's playful elements, but it's very serious and it attacks it. It goes after a very serious subject in a way that's that's um that's um forward thinking and creative and imagine it's it's an imagined world um mm-hmm. in a way that that really hasn't been done in mainstream media and in, in really profound ways so um yeah you would you agree yeah oh a hundred percent agree yep. i've i've always said that that's objectively the best mcu film um i love its use <laughs> of color mm-hmm. i you know i mean you had not just in the in the the what was I going to say the costume design, but even the set design, right? Like you yeah. get a wide range of environments from the snow to yes. kind of some earth tones to this lush green environment. You get the water, like you get all of it. Yeah, um, ev- everything communicates the culture, the various cultures that make up Wakanda. Yeah. And there's almost like a there's almost like a um an essential characteristic that goes with those that tribe, right? That that that, mm-hmm. that exists and and so you've got like the princely tri- you've got like T'Challa, but then you've got the uh, the defenders who 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 are kind of tending the fields, but also they're like the shield of the yeah. of the of the country. And then you've got um um the 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 mountain tribe up in the snow and the in the in the you know the the dark wood and gray and and it's just it's very mm-hmm. it's very um very cold um yeah it's yeah. it's and and then but then you're taken out to to Hong Kong right uh or is it Korea I want to say Korea so you're taken out to Korea you're taken to LA Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's very, it's coherent. Um, but it's also, yeah, those, yeah. those, those, uh, I agree. I yeah. Agree. The colors, uh, and, you know, it's funny. What comes up to mind, and it's not funny, but it, what comes to mind is we're talking about being a complete picture. So the Eternals in one of, um, Chloe Zhao's, uh, Zhao's, Zhao or Zhao, one of her, reputations is doing really well with beautiful landscapes right yeah and, and how she for um, she did f- nomad nomad land nomad land right best director best yeah. picture um and you could see that in the eternals but i feel like mm-hmm. you get that in black panther you get these these landscape shots but on the action sequences depending on what the story's trying to do you get close-ups 
of the action, right? Very, mm-hmm. you know, think about in Korea and the in the gambling scene. Um, yes, you get really nice, close, intimate shots on the action. Um, same thing towards the end when it's just the two of them, Killmonger and Black Panther. Nice, tight, yeah. close shots. Um, but then much wider shots um, when you have the tribes and or Melage uh, fighting. Yeah. So you get a mix of everything where I feel like thinking across MCU, they they go with one or the other. They, they're they either, you know, nice and tight for action or they're giving us everything. Right. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this, they, they really change this camera choices based off of, with the action, based off of what they wanted to show us. That's interesting. That's interesting. So I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to think of other standouts for aesthetics. So there's two that I have in mind, and it's because they are oh I got a third now. So it's 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 not because it's because they work within the MCU mold MCU kind of broader aesthetic like that mm-hmm. makes it okay. This is an MCU movie. But then there's something about it, like Black Panther does X, Y, and Z really well, makes it stand mm-hmm. out, or mm-hmm. does something unique that you hadn't seen before, or it, it flips things on its head. It's like, oh, so I was thinking Guardians, yes. Guardians of the Galaxy, and I think it's it's two things. It's the cosmic realm, which we hadn't seen before, and it's portrayal of that, which could have been very stupid, but it did it in a way that was at times gritty, at times silly. Always mm-hmm. very colorful, um, and then there, the, the, you know, James Gunn and his needle drops, and then the other movie is Thor uh, Ragnarok mm-hmm. because it's it's so, you know, you exist in like um, Thor's world of, you know, he's fighting the demon monster at the beginning, and then he gets thrown into um, Sakar, and it's like it's like everything is like all the colors are inverted and just like mm-hmm. all the characters are bananas and, and everything is, is tongue in cheek. Um, you know, they're making jokes about, you know, the slaves, well, the, you know, prisoners who work, you know, and, and, and it's just like, it's, it's, everything's turned on its head. So mm-hmm. that, that, those are the, those are two standouts for me that um, push the mold. But I do think, I always say this, I've said this to you before that, one of the reasons why I think Thor Ragnarok was so successful was because it basically brought Guardians of the Galaxy's aesthetic into Thor yes. and saved that franchise. <laughs> yes. Because oh, Kenneth yeah. Branagh just wasn't doing it for people, you know? Right. Well, you know what? And he only had one go at it, too. Yeah. You know, and so so that was interesting. Wait, I thought he, did the sec- he didn't do the second one? No. I guess not. Yeah, okay. Um, the second one was done by Alan Taylor. Okay. Good for um, you. You know the you know who did well, it. Well, here okay, but here's why I know who did that. He did some Game of Thrones episodes. Yeah. We'll and I got one. excited cuz I was thinking, you know. Oh, he did Baylor. He did one of the best episodes of Game of Thrones ever. Yeah. And so he's <laughs> I mean, if you look at what he's done, he's done some West Wing. He's done yeah. some Six Feet Under, Sex in the City, The Sopranos, mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, Boardwalk Empire, Deadwood, Mad Men. I know you love Mad Men. I do. You he know, did the pilot episode of Mad Men. And so- It's crazy. When his name In came Rome? up, I was excited. I was thinking Game of like Thor would work with Game of Thrones. 
mm-hmm. right? That that kind of that's what I was is, and so I don't think what, direction. I don't think direction was the reason why that that is. I don't think so either. <laughs> regarded as 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 uh, not as among the worst. Um, yeah. Well, and it's also interesting, you know, you bring up dialogue and think about writing. Yep. Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely were th- two of the three writers on Thor Dark World. Yeah. And they get praised. I mean, they did first Captain America, first Avenger. They're responsible yeah. for Winter Soldier. Civil you can't War. win them all. No, you can't. You can't. <laughs> yeah. But like, but like, I was excited for that, and um, and yeah, yeah. the it should have been good. Yeah, Ragnarok. You know, like you said, they they borrowed the or took the. Well, as you were describing Sakar, you know, they took the the Guardians of the Galaxy aesthetic, but what as you were describing Sakar, what I what I found interesting is like just the, well, the whole movie itself is another one that jumped around places and you spent some time with Dr. Strange in New York. Yeah, right? that's went, right. You went, um, you know, in the beginning where he was in that basically hell and, and all of yep. that. But Sakar was like just this trash heap and they were able to take that idea of a trash heap and mix in like, 60s ideas and 70s ideas and 80s and it was, 90s it was, it was silly it was like parody yeah. almost yeah yeah and camp. It, was, it was camp it was camp. there you go that's a good way to put camp. it and, no no i didn't get that from me it, it was that was from one of uh tk's uh guests ah. um when they talk about it it's camp i it's, actually it's part of the it's one of the reasons why it was my number one uh pick for the snooty episode so i i listened to that. to that one just recently and yeah. like it it their take on it was um eye-opening super cool um, right like, oh it was really cool i was like oh i didn't yeah. think of it that way i didn't think yeah. of it that way that's fantastic i'm gonna yeah. have to go re-watch this again um but you're right like they they borrowed that there and okay i'm gonna jump around like i i mean we're just kind yep. of talking here and i'm not as worried about yep. going one of the questions i had on this you already mentioned it the whedon question has the comedic dialogue of Whedon had a negative impact over the long term of the MCU? And let me just to give you a frame of reference of like what I was thinking. I was thinking that in you know Avengers, Josh Whedon ended Phase One, and aesthetically, Iron Man and Iron Man Two were pretty close together. Hulk was much darker. Thor kind of looked like an Iron Man movie. Yeah, uh, with Bronham, um, Captain America: First Avenger kind of did, but it felt like its own thing. And then the Avengers well, it was happened. Like a war movie, right? You but know. the Avengers happened, and then it seemed like everything was kind of following that. Yeah, um, or at least in, in a way. And then you had Age of Ultron, um, you know. And so, in that way, it seemed like that's the the look they settled in on, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm just, so it made me wonder like with that influencing everything else after, um, is that something that probably had more of a negative impact than positive? I, it's funny that you should say that is it's kind of like a chicken or egg question because, Mm -hmm. because everyone I'm a, I read DC comics growing up and everyone kind of recognized DC stuff like more serious. Marvel has that, Marvel has that that lighter side to it, 
unless you're reading X, unless you're reading X-Men. Um, and then, and, and, um, oh, by the way, I read X-Men as a kid. So, so, but, but I, it's, it's definitely carried into, so like Favreau, like Whedon didn't do Iron Man, right? Right. But it's, it's, it's funny. Mm -hmm. And Avenger, the Avengers, Whedon has those super quippy moments, but you know, if you fast forward to Age of Ultron with, you know, the Whedon falling out and, and now we're now we're past Whedon, the next movie is Ant-Man. And that yeah. is basic. That's like a comedy, but it's not. It's totally different. It's not Whedon comedy at all. And so I think and then and then you get to Civil War where you get the Rousseau brothers and I feel like, I feel like you, I don't want to say you, you'd give, you're giving Whedon too much credit. I think it, it makes sense that Whedon is brought into just given his aesthetic and the way that he does humor and, mm-hmm. and does ensembles really well and found family and all this stuff. Um, yeah. It makes sense that he would do the Avengers and he did it so well. And then you know that that's that's what we're going for it's that like this is how the mcu should have been or was going to be and of course you bring in whedon to kind of shepherd that yeah you know especially given given his 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 place in um his status at that time you know he's had some falls from grace right recently but at the time he was just like the king and people yeah. loved it. And so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I I, I think you make some good points. Uh, so the things I would say to counter that would be, mm-hmm. as you're hiring directors, a James Gunn, and he has his aesthetic, even you mentioned about Ant-Man, but it was supposed to be an Edgar Wright film, and Edgar Wright has spent a lot of time working on it, and then creative mm-hmm. reasons, you bring in Peyton Reed, and Paul Rudd gets a crack at the script. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, James Gunn again. Uh, you see what John Watts did. You bring in Taika mm-hmm. Waititi. Mm-hmm. And and so yeah, it definitely guided that the sense, Yeah, choices. yeah. You're you're starting to to look at these choices um, of who they pick. Uh, Anthony and Joe Russo. I mean, they were noticed because of their work on Community. Mm-hmm. You know. So now I think that they're. I don't think that that's fair to just associate them with community when you think about some of the other stuff they've done outside the MCU, especially well, after leaving. I also wouldn't, wouldn't, I mean, I've watched community now and I would say that's high praise. So I, you yeah, know, it's not a bad thing to have come from. from oh no, 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 no. But, but in other words, I wouldn't categorize them as like comedic directors. Right. 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 You know, whereas like James Gunn, um, runs the risk of stereotyping in terms of genre. Um, Cause you'd have guardians, guardians Two, suicide squad, his version of it. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And then his background before that is, is the horror genre. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he's really good at what he does. I mean, he was the right, he was, he also wrote Scooby-Doo, one of the Scooby-Doo films. (laughs) Um, But I mean, I mean, you get the idea. There's a certain, you know, well, it's it makes sense they haven't brought in. I'm gonna just throw it out there. It's is this weird that Tarantino has just become the name for like generic director that you want to 
<laughs> like have like the stereotype ger- generic director it's just tarantino like because yeah it might be it might show our age a little more because like jude when i was in high school man he was like the king it was like pulp fiction jackie brown reservoir dogs it was like oh we I, worshipped I, know, I, know. The, like, I knew all the lines i mean it was just like that was like that was like gold you know and um no it was it was and he's he's become himself um self-indulgent if that makes sense like well self-indulgent but but like his you know talking about a style like this what is it panache but um what word am i looking for was panache? i saying that right no um is that right i don't know oh <laughs> uh, i think so <laughs> no oh what am i what am i thinking what word am i thinking of when we're done recording yeah, i'll okay. think of it that's not you the one in I was the show notes of. but it's <laughs> it's um oh gosh that's gonna bother me now yeah okay forget it um but anyways what i'm trying to say is well i'm gonna compare him to the russo brothers okay and just do this right his film school was working at basically like a blockbuster and watching uh-huh. all these films and he loves films and every scene in his movie is a reference to something oh, else oh oh okay he is a he's um, like a, a filmmaker's filmmaker he's like he's right like, okay now it's gonna bother me because i think i know what you're talking about um but but that but that's but that style mm-hmm. is like you're right it was the hot thing but because of that his style and he's so aware of it that it's it's like you know like like well inglorious bastards for me was like a caricature of right himself right or his style you know and jackie brown right. is my favorite right. movie of his um whereas like the russo brothers they do the same thing like if you watch the director's commentary for winter soldier civil war there's like little moments in there um winter soldier it's the standoff between crossbones and agent Mm -hmm. carter and you have shield and hydra and there's that standoff and there's this tension and something falls there's like a moment of just silence you know and then there's this this sound of something falling and hitting the ground that that breaks the tension and starts the action that was intentionally done as an homage to the exorcist. Okay. okay. You know, and, but like, so like they know they do that, but it doesn't, because they have such a, an awareness of film and such an awareness of film history and, and those things, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't become a, yeah, it does, it's, it's not, it's not the, the subject way. of the film. Whereas Tarantino, it's like, it becomes the subject of right. the film is, is right. the references right. is the, the homages is the, yeah. I mean, the whole, yeah. all of Kill Bill is basically, you know, it's, I, I love yeah. that movie, but like, but like it can get, it's, it's just, it, it becomes the subject of the film. It's just totally distracting. Right. Uh, yeah. Right. Well, yeah. It, well, and that's, I mean, I, we didn't plan on going down this road, but we we're talking about aesthetics. That's where I think I, I really struggle with the whole this isn't cinema or what is cinema oh. thing um 
well, just because I, cause from what I, I, I your guys, listeners can't see me, but I roll my eyes when I when I hear that stuff yeah. because because <laughs> I just I just have no yeah. patience for for that kind of I just yeah okay okay this this gives right. me an in um so th- like looking at all of this reminds me of so I I took a I took a course in college a while back um on american film history and it was it covered the period of mm-hmm. like the old westerns and started with john ford and it got went all the way up to um um you know orson wells and the kind of his latest stuff so um and, and it focused on the concept of the auteur and it was looking at these directors who were like pumping out movies like they were they were studio like like they they were at the, they were at the mercy of the studios and they had to pump out these movies and their regard like stagecoach you know like like these these classic mm-hmm. movies that like it was hard to watch at, at sometimes because sometimes i'm like i'm watching the same movie over and over again like i'm just watching westerns and there's but but what right. this course allowed me to do was to see john ford what he does and how it's unique and how he, what he did influenced every other Western ever to be made after that. And so you start to see what's remarkable. And so what you see is, this is, I'm getting to my point. What you see is a director working within a very strict set of constraints, the Western, and he's got to make like 15 of them, you know? And within those mm-hmm. very strict constraints, he does like, ama- he ends up like coming up with these amazing techniques in order to tell a story in a unique way and you now you can look back and say that's a john ford western and and these are his signature right. things and that's amazing what i what what i the, the analogy here is we now have 26 marvel movies and we're we're th- there is a there is for better or worse a formula here right like there's there's as mm-hmm. Nick Sandy says, I like movies where people punch people. Like I like movies of people punching people. Like yeah. it's, they're action movies about superheroes, but they've they there are what what we're paying attention to here, and what I'm kind of drawing attention to is that there's something unique in 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 each of them, and we're I'm highlighting patterns and and you know you bringing up the question of Whedon and his influence, or like James Gunn and Needle Drops, like like. You know there there are there are needle drops in other movies now, and not just Marvel movies. And I think, and they're much more prominent than they ever were. And I think that's that's due in part <laughs> because of James Gunn. And and you know, so I don't know. Have I sparked anything in your mind as I've been talking? Yes, because it's it's one of those things where, as you mentioned, like with john ford now you go back and this is a john ford film mm-hmm. right and you can see and you can tell and and there's just this particular style right um and when something's successful is like you said james gunn and the needle drop i mean guardians of the galaxy soundtrack that he did right not the score just that that other soundtrack was wasn't it like top 10 selling oh, yeah yeah, it brought it back came out, 70s yeah, it was music, great. like sixties music or whatever. Like it was yeah. like, yeah, and and everybody's like you said, everybody's not just Marvel. Everybody's using mm-hmm. that now. Um, 
And I think we see that. Like, I, I think that's just the influence of like the, the generation of filmmakers will, like you said, watch Tarantino and take, you know, cause it was the thing in high school or what are the things that the guys are watching now? I, I say the guys, cause I worked at an all boys school, mm-hmm. uh, but that people are watching now that they're taking and they're taking away the James gun needle drop. They're taking right. away those things that they're going to be watching. Uh, well, I have a senior who just loves films and I have other seniors on the side that like, you know, that he's always like that. Right. He never, everything reminds him of a movie. Yeah. And I just kind of laugh and, and cause I'm loving it. We have those conversations, but he's that kid who, like you said, he watches to the point where he's like, yeah, I'm not a fan of this guy for these reasons. And he's picking it up, but it, through that he's developing his own yeah. style. And that's, you know, and, and, and that's just what happens, you know, and it's going to be yeah. with something needle drops, yeah. music score. Um, yeah, absolutely. So I, I just, that's kind of where my mind went because you've got, and I, and I thought of that, I, man, I really want to talk about Eternals, but we shouldn't. So I'm not going to, Yeah. But let me go back a little bit. So let's talk about the Russo brothers. Um, you've got, okay. you've got, or no, no, no. Let's talk about Thor Ragnarok. So you got Taika Waititi who is, is carrying on like from, like like I said, blending the the cosmic guardians wackiness with Thor, which is you know Shakespearean and 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 kind of bull, um, and it's mm-hmm. like self importance. You know, it's kind of like it takes itself too seriously, right? And like and like you know, right. um, and, and 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 he just twists it, you know, in a way that makes it not only fresh, but really fun and advances the, it makes it possible to, to, to imagine a fourth Thor movie. We're not getting a fourth Iron Man, you know, like we're, we're getting a fourth mm-hmm. Thor movie. Who, who would have thought after the dark world that we're getting a fourth Thor movie. And it's because of his ability to work within the, the boundaries of what is, is he's being tasked with. You know, like he's being tasked with making an installment in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So there are constraints, but his genius is to be able to do that in a way that's really unique and fresh. And what I like about later installments is that it's what seems like, especially let's talk phase four in generalities. And sometimes it's successful Mm -hmm. and sometimes it's not. But I do feel like there is there that the MCO is giving their directors more freedom to to explore their their stories in a way that's more informed by their aesthetic than maybe you would have seen 10 years ago maybe i don't know you know what i i think so i i'm going to ask you this question and i think okay. i know the answer to this if ant-man was coming out now do you think Edgar Wright would not have been replaced? What do you, what do you mean? Like, let me, well, like, like just from what you were saying, it just sounds like, like, like they'd be more, more willing to go along with 
because I don't know all the with what with what he's doing. Well, it was creative differences, and like there was a quote where he said like like I wanted to make an Edgar Wright film. Shaun of Marvel the Dead. didn't want to make an Edgar. You Wright can film. totally feel. Okay, so that it makes you wonder, right? That the scenes with Luis right. are totally from Shaun of the Dead. They are like out of that. That's the kind of like quick shot humor, you know? Mm-hmm. And maybe, mm-hmm. maybe. You know, well, just if, if, if they're starting to let directors have a little bit more of their style in it. Yeah. You know, is that something which I've, I think that I think what's interesting is, and to bring the Disney Plus back, I think some of that is Disney Plus, is where we're seeing. Yes, because I mean, if you think about it, we've only we've only got, and Black Widow's hard to judge, but we've only have two. Well, movies. We have three. We have three movies, but Black Widow is 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 um is unique because it was made it was made a while ago. Right. And- well, and, the, and the, that's the only reason why I'm waiting on that one is because you had, so you have Endgame, Far From Far From Home, and then Black mm-hmm. Widow, right? And Black Widow is such a such a long mm-hmm. wait, but from, as I understand it, Black Widow was in the can, and, and you see some of Kate Shortland's um, style coming in that. Yeah. And you see the different tone, the tonal differences, yeah, uh, especially in the opening credits. Absolutely. Whereas, where Shang Chi. And Eternals was something that was in production, post or pre-production, production, post, after those. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. And so that's why I say in those two movies, you really start to see even more so the style. Yeah. Than I think we do in Black Widow or, or the 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 open. And I, I don't. I don't. I don't. Um, I, I I guess it's it's being it's it's more apparent to me. It was apparent to me in Black in Black Panther. You know. Not so much in some of these other films. Mm-hmm. Disney Plus shows, there was a lot of, there were a lot of moving parts. And, you know, with like, take WandaVision. Like, WandaVision really, I, I just, it was, it was the riskiest thing they've ever done. But it wasn't mm-hmm. because it didn't rest on the big theater release, which is a lot of, distribution and worldwide yeah. and and just you know it's a different uh economic structure and so maybe that's part of the reason mm-hmm. why we get it and not, we, we you wouldn't get that level of risk and it's that's part of the reason so, why i was so scared about going to eternals because i felt like they were really taking a big risk you know so uh, I, I know we're not going to talk like in depth about Eternals, but do you think Eternals was a bigger risk than Guardians? Um, yes, because um, I, 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 I actually talked about this on, on a prior podcast. I actually was thinking the same way about Eternals that I was about Guardians of the Galaxy because I wasn't familiar with the story. Just like I wasn't familiar with the, the story of Eternals. And I was like, well, I remember seeing a preview of Guardians of the Galaxy and I was like, why are they making this? Because it just seems so insane. It's so outside the left field from what they've been making before. And it turned out to be amazing. I, I don't think so because, I mean, was James Gunn an Oscar winning director? You know what I mean? It, like, 
Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe. I don't know. That's an interesting question. I mm-hmm. would say no, just because that wasn't nearly as built up. That was a sleeper hit. Whereas Eternals, I think they were they were they were setting it up to to they're just really promoting it. You know, just promoting the heck out of it. Yeah. Um, as like you know, this is gonna change the Marvel universe and. Chloe Zhao and you mm-hmm. know all these actors and blah 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 and it's eternal Jack Kirby's vision and I'm like I've read those comics they're weird like they're I'm like why did yeah. they make this why did they make this well, what are they thinking? it was so funny <laughs> you were you were sending us shots of panels <laughs> and like what is going know, on it's so weird and like and and so uh, I think I feel like Guardians was a more I could look at that and be like, okay, whereas Eternals, given the source material, and James Gunn is, you know, he's, you know, he's done stuff. Whereas Chloe, Chloe Zhao is like a, she's not an action director. She doesn't do comedy, you know? No. Um, so right. I, I think it was, I think Eternals is a bigger risk, but it made sense because we're this far into the MCU. Um, you know, Eternals can be big and, and whatever, but there's four other movies coming that are going to be just there's Spider-Man is going to be freaking huge. Doctor Strange 2 mm-hmm. is going to be freaking huge. And Thor Love and Thunder is going to be they're all huge. So, I mean, at what point is it just like, yeah, it's just another it's another massive, crazy installment. Um, Yeah, I wonder. I always I, I always part of me is always wondering, like, when's the next when's the shoe going to drop? And, uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> but, but it's gonna, it's gonna happen. You know, there's going to be, there's going to be another, I feel like you have to be willing to take risks. Mm-hmm. I, I think we're seeing it, you know, um, but on some extent we saw it with Shang-Chi. So, and that was great. Yeah. So I don't know. Well, as of, I'm going to say this as of recording, by the time this comes out, Shang Chi will be on Disney. Yes, Park. yes. So we can talk about Shang Chi. Looking forward <laughs> to see it again. You, should you and I talk yeah, about Shang Chi without Trey? He's gonna be pissed, right? Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Oh I, man! You know, he spent two hours. He spent two hours with Tara talking about Ta- Shang Chi. Oh yeah, yeah. You're right on the reaction pod. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So so, so he, he's he's had his chance. Yeah. <laughs> So I don't I don't know how much we actually talk about aesthetics, but I propose we move we move to our our second big topic because um, we've kind of been doing it already. I don't know. I don't know what what do you think? Yeah. So let's do that. Where we compare? No, I think we, you're right. Let's do that. Yeah. Um. Well. Well. You know what? I. I mean, in some ways, I think we talked some aesthetics in mm-hmm. terms of. Um, much broader ideas, especially with this idea, again, the director, the auteur, mm-hmm. um, and calling back into film history, looking at Whedon, looking mm-hmm. at uh, the Russo brothers, James Gunn. Um, I think I think we ended up in what the director's influence has been, and it seems like we've talked more along those lines than yeah. like oh, individual elements, which I, I think works. I think it's good. Yeah. And I bring that up because, you know, our next one we wanted to do was to talk about these comparisons, yeah. MCU to DCEU, a.k.a. Snyder, <laughs> MCU to like Nolan, because we both love Nolan. Mm-hmm. 
uh, MCU to Fox Universe, and I think the Fox Universe works as well. It does. Um, as a comparison, actually, because uh, you have Brian Singer that did multiple films, and then across all of them, you've mostly got the X Men. Besides run, the wonky, you've mostly got the X Men run, yeah. and then the the more recent um, Spider Verse. You know, definitely fit the. I would argue fit the aesthetic. You know. Um, yeah. Maybe yeah. a little goofier than the, you know, I mean, we're talking about a 20 year difference between X-Men and, and Venom 2, but, um, mm-hmm. but, um, well, no, Venom 2 is Sony, is Sony, not Fox. Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So they're done. Yeah. They're done. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the other thing there is, is it's a complete yeah, okay. package with that's Fox. Right. So, so I'll let you start first, um, with. Well, you mentioned the MCU versus the DCEU. Yeah. So I, I think that if I'm going to be charitable, we can all agree that there, that there were significant differences that, that mm-hmm. didn't work out so well for, for DC. And I know they're retooling and I think it's, it's actually for the better, but let's just take like, let's take a good, a good installment. You've got Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. There's a realism that I think penetrates that film, even in its most fantastical, so they're on an island, but I, I do feel like it's 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 more grounded. And then as they are as they are persisting in the nineteen teens, the feel of that it feels like a war movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I feel this across many of the DCU movies. It, it has more muted grays, and it's what you would see in like in like a realistic war movie, like a saving private Ryan. It's almost like washed out a little right. bit just in terms of the visual oh, coloring. Yeah. A- after that, you know, you can talk about Snyder who, who dominates, you know, man of steel, Batman V Superman and justice league. If we're going to take mm-hmm. justice league as his property and, and just look at the Snyder cut. I mean, there's deep continuity, but that's every mm-hmm. movie he's ever made. It's just every movie he's ever made. Right. And so, you know, there is a, there is a, a particular flair to his, to how he does things. He likes to create tableaus of beautiful bodies, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that's, that's very, um, very much a, a callback to the Greek gods. Yes. Not, not so much on the humor, a little bit, but, um, right. Right. Well, and, and I do find it interesting that when you bring, when you, you have that gritty, like you were mm-hmm. saying, not so much on the humor. Mm-hmm. And is it, I think that can work. Well, I don't know why. Look at, the, did, look at Nolan's Batman right? films. And, but, but it's definitely. Look at Nolan's Batman films. It, like yeah, they they I mean, fall into all these categories. Not terribly funny. Really dark. Very serious. No. Real, realist. The, the kind of realist. Feel there's a it's a little softer. I would say, okay, Batman yeah. Begins is softer. Dark Knight very very gritty, very much set in mm-hmm. a real Chicago, like it's Chicago basically. You're driving the streets yes. of Chicago, um, and and I say that because I lived in Chicago for a bit, and it's just like whoa, you are there. I mean, it's crazy. So, and 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 then you you go to S- the Snyderverse. And it's got like you like the same, t- but it it doesn't. It's not as successful, I would say. For some people, it is, but I, it doesn't have as much universal appeal, I guess. 
to be fair. No, and I think that is fair. But I it just I I just find it interesting that like the aesthetic of wanting to how do I how do I want to put it? Of having that gritty look, we know works because you're looking at Nolan mm-hmm. and and it and across those three, it worked. Mm-hmm. You know what? I'd even go back to Blade. Yeah. The first yeah. Blade. You know, and whether it holds up or not, I haven't seen it in a while. I remember enjoying it when I first saw it, but that wasn't the MCU aesthetic. No. You know, in fact, that's one of the things that kind of makes me wonder of like, how does, can't wait to see where Shala Ali is Blade. Who made Blade? Like, how's that going to work? Was it Fox? That's a good question. Because I think that one of the reasons why, so like, in the 90s, you had the Batman films that got in. Actually, not only that, Blade was R. It was rated R. Wow, okay. So, yeah. so you had the Batman films that got increasingly campier. And then you got, yes. you got X-Men and Batman Begins pretty close together. So like Marvel mm-hmm. and Batman took this. It was Marvel's Fox. You know, it was through, through Fox. It was through the X-Men. But like it took a, a much... I mean, you start with the Holocaust. It's, you know, it's in Wolverine and, and like this random girl in Alaska with Rogue. It's very tactile and real. And you see the claws come out of his hands. There's blood. It heals. So it's very, very real. It's very um, emotional. And that's what that was very appealing. And I think that when the MCU came around, it became... It almost split the difference between the 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 silly and the real to give it this comic book feel that's like we can all recognize is um is uh okay so there's a storm where I live and we had you know a poltergeist moment of lights flashing and power on power off power on flipped a couple of breakers uh, internet's back. I got cut out as Fred Daniel was talking about um, the Fox universe um, and that dark, grittier aesthetic. Um, and mainly just it's examples of that can work. And for some reason, it doesn't seem like the DCEU is able to pull it off. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you've already mentioned Wonder Woman, Shazam as part of that. And both of those kind of have a more Marvel aesthetic. Yeah, they're um, a little and, goofier. That's yeah, for sure. And and they worked. Um, yeah. I mean, you know. Jude, I, I, I went on for a while and it's just these four walls that hurt it because, no. you know, you lost power. So we'll never The recording will be on. So I get to hear, I get to hear it. It'll, <laughs> it'll still be there. As long as you had power, yours, I think, still should have recorded. That's fascinating okay oh boy <laughs> so we'll we'll oh, see man. <laughs> so it just, it just turned into the friend daniel show mm-hmm. yep and yeah. you, you may have an end tag in there <laughs> nice nice <laughs> we'll see yeah uh now there was one question left of the outline we missed and we want to get back and talk about this to kind of wrap up our thoughts and the question was are needle drops uh, becoming overdone. Um, have they overshadowed the score or are the scores in particular in the MCU just not memorable? So to, to me, I, I don't think they're overdone. I don't think they're overdone. I think um, Guardians of the Galaxy is very specific, unique. 
you're going to get a lot of them and they have a, a certain essential quality to it. But we've gotten them in Black Widow, in Shang-Chi, and in in Eternals. That's all I'll say. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've been very effective, and I lo- and I like it. It's not like it's happening all the time, but I do think that um, that um, I ha- this is just personal. I-, I haven't been as wowed by the scores as much in um in black widow and shang chi and and eternals i need to go back and listen to to eternals mm-hmm. um but and and i say that because and this is why i wanted to talk about this question jude because it gave me a chance to talk about loki because the the score in loki was out of this world good it was right. like it was unbelievable so memorable an essential part of the show in in carrying the story and just setting the tone mm-hmm. and i learned this and i may have said this on pod already but i just think it's so interesting and i wish cuz music's very important to me i wish that this could happen more but i learned um the uh Kate Heron was on a a podcast that you and i listen to quite frequently mark mm-hmm. kermode on film mm-hmm. and um uh jack howard who's his guest frequently interviewed kate heron that was a fantastic Loki. episode yes and and um oh no no i'm stupid um no didn't he didn't he didn't he interview natalie holt no, it was Kate Heron. It was Kate Heron. Okay, yeah. And he maybe, was, maybe I'm dumb though. I, no, maybe they talked about they talked about Natalie Holt and okay. how she so, got hired. So my what I learned was that they paid her before shooting started to create a an overture, like a, like a like a like a a preview mm-hmm. song. Yeah, and she basically wrote the intro. You know the the credit scene. Um. And, and, um, you know, studios don't do that, right? Like they, they even said like studios didn't do that because it's a waste of money because you're going to make the show and then you're going to make the, make the the music and the music comes Mm -hmm. after. But she wrote this and they would, what I found out is they would play it on set while they were filming, while they were doing stuff and that set the tone and, and it totally like you can tell it permeates the the show in a way that I feel mm-hmm. like wouldn't have happened after the fact. And I just am, I'm, I'm fascinated by that idea and thinking about the difference between a show or a movie where that happens after and a show mm-hmm. or a movie where it happens before. And then it influences the, the creative process because it's a messy process of mm-hmm. making a film, you know, there's like multiple shots oh, and yeah. like, you know, there's the, there's the actors and the directors and there's the editors and there's, it's, there's all this, there are all these layers going into it, but it's, it's just, it adds another, you have the, the visionary director showrunner, but then you have this music that's also pulling a thread through the show. I think that's fascinating. I want to see more of that. Of course, we're not going to get more of that, but I just, right. I just think, I would love to get maybe not that specifically, but I would love to get a memorable mm-hmm. a memorable score. We we got it in 
Avengers. We have an yes. Avengers theme, right? Yes. You know what? I okay. So there is um, two different playlists on Spotify I listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, one I just just because, and the other one I was looking it up uh, for this episode, and it's for MCU themes. Uh huh. The only two that I really recognized, remembered, was Avengers, Alan Shavesh's Avengers from the first one. And well, it depends on the list I was looking at. One had more choices than the other one, but it was Alice Silvestri's Infinity War and Portals. Mm. It was mm-hmm. just those. Um, That's wild. You know, now the Black Panther also yeah. stood out. I think that was yeah. another one that 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 stood out. But in terms of like, it didn't. You know, maybe it's because they use like I didn't, it blew my mind. I didn't even realize Danny Elfman did our um, of Age of Ultron. You That's know, it, crazy because normally his music is like, oh, there's Danny Elfman, like right. duh, you know, yeah, like it's, everything it's he's Williams, ever done. Danny Elfman and Hans Zimmer. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and oh man. Well, and now, but that's the thing. Um, oh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Gorenson. Yeah. Right. Like Man- he's, Mandarin. He's, he's becoming Tenet. that now. Yeah. Yes, he is. Oh, he totally is. He totally is. Well, and that's that's the other reason why Black Panther that uh, when that theme came along, yep. you know. Um, well, I'm going to go back real quick. Why that's such a complete package is you get the needle drops from the soundtrack written directly for, which doesn't happen anymore except for yep. like in the 80s. Yep. Um, but Guardian, something James Gunn did. He made that mixtape, as I understand it, for everybody, and would play that on set. Like, oh my gosh! So like, so j- just what he, what you said, Kate Heron did for Loki. He did that with those songs, mm-hmm. and that's part of why it worked so well. Mm-hmm. And and it's one of those things where it's like, okay, is that a needle drop? He did the needle drop so well, but it drove decisions and the acting and all of that. Yeah. The way Kate Heron did with Loki. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's a, that's a creative choice. I don't know if she was the one who decided that it might've been the studio. Mm -hmm. I love a good score. Oh yeah. And I, I love a good score. Um, Some of them are really obvious that tell you how to feel. Mm-hmm. And others are just John Williams. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And others are just like Zimmer. They just are a part of the experience. Mm-hmm. So if you watch um, Dunkirk, mm-hmm. it's like there was music. Like I'm literally like there was music right. in that movie. Right. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's yeah. like it's. Cr- I thought it was a part of the movie. I just I've I've watched Dune a few times now. I hope I'm not creating a creating a splash, but. That movie's freaking incredible, and it's Hans Zimmer. I feel like I'm watching a Christopher Nolan film because of that. Mm-hmm. But the the music feels like it's in the movie. Right. He, he he. I I read an article about it, and he he deliberately synthesized the drums because he wanted he he wanted a sound of a drum that doesn't exist because it takes place thousands and thousands of years in the future. So we wanted musical instruments that didn't sound like our musical instruments today because he wanted it to feel alien. Mm-hmm. And it feels like it's there. It's so crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Tenet, he like, 
he was interviewed by by Kermode, and okay. um, and he talks about the long process of creating the, the music for that movie with Nolan. He would meet with him like every week mm -hmm. for like nine months mm -hmm. and just go through. He would make a sound and, and he would, he played with like time in the sound, like back and forth, you know, like uh, oh, forwards yeah, and backwards and all this yeah, crazy you stuff. Could tell, you could tell in Tenet, depending on which direction they're going, yes. that sound, the music, the score sounded in reverse. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah. so, it's just, and I've listened to that score over and over and over again, and he got snubbed by mm -hmm. by awards because he that's an achievement. Now, okay, go back to the MCU. Mm -hmm. I can't think of a score that I would talk about in those ways. Loki. <laughs> well, Loki. Loki's the only, you're right. Loki's yep. the only one. Yep. You know, um, and, but with the needle drops, I don't come away feeling like there wasn't music. And and so that's why, you know, part of that question of like, I, I'd have to say they're just not memorable. They're, they, they are, they are. So there's only so much you can do in a movie. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, no one's, no one's walking around talking about how funny, how, how, how well Christopher Nolan balances humor and character development, you know, in serious topics. Like he just mm -hmm. doesn't do it. It's not his right. thing. It's hard to do it all. And movies where I love the music, the music is like wildly memorable plays, you know, is a big part of it, but it doesn't have to be, it can be another piece just like the editing where I don't notice it, you know, but it, ha it plays its function so well that you just don't notice it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the way that you're trying to help them out on that. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, just because... Okay, I'm being too nice. You're saying, well, the music's crappy, so... <laughs> uh, well, it's not that I'm saying music's crappy. It's just, it's just, just for me, when I think about that not memorable, like... So, okay, I can put on the Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Yes. You know, and that, and that score, and Brilliant. just listen, and I know what scene and what's middle, going on. Right. Yes. You're in Middle Earth. You're right. You're having second breakfast. Like, yeah, yes, yes. You're absolutely when, right. But when I play the MCU, I don't always no. know what's going on or where I'm at. No, it's like, it's like I put on the, um, the soundtrack for the bad batch. Oh, <laughs> Star Wars, the bad batch. Yeah. Cause it popped up on my Spotify and I was like, oh, no. it was, it was, in, it was incomprehensible. I'm like, what is, what is this? What is going on? Like, yeah. I just can't even. It's just sound. It's like, I'm like, ah, I can't listen to this. It's not, yeah. it's not, it's, it plays a very specific function. And, um, you know, that's maybe that's so far. That's what we get. Mm -hmm. I was kind of hoping for a little more with Eternals, but I don't think it's as memorable. Yeah. So. I will say, I, I will say, and I know I said this once when Nick Sandy was on, I was disappointed in the black panther soundtrack the not the right. score but the the kendrick lamar uh cd album or whatever yeah uh, not that i didn't think it was good but like i listened to that on the way to the theater and i didn't hear a lot i, I heard more of the score than i heard those songs and right. i had that um guardians of the galaxy expectation oh you know of like oh i'm not hearing this a lot you know hmm. um it was good. I enjoyed it. I listened to that a lot, you know, mm -hmm. um, but, but that was the one time 
um, and and they only bring that up just because of the standpoint of like how impactful those needle drops were. Yeah, that I'm not listening to the Guardians of the Galaxy score. Yeah, and I'm listening to this. Whereas the I would flip that with um, Wakanda, and that I can listen to the score and I feel like I'm in the Wakanda. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm I'm just trying to like thinking about looking looking at the movies and just it doesn't they don't stand out Mm-mm. so and that's i mean i it's it's okay it's just a piece of that you know that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well that sounds like uh well knowing us we could go on for a while um <laughs> longer but i think that wraps it up for this episode i do think that there's uh with plenty of other stuff coming out uh definitely gonna have to revisit this yeah um and knowing there what we're looking at um we did focus a lot on directors mm-hmm. a lot of felt like a music and needle drops have to come back to some editing there because that's like editing is one of my thing like there was t- twice in eternals where i'm like what just happened? And it was an edit that I didn't mm-hmm. think was good mm-hmm. uh, twice. Yeah. You know, if I notice it, then it's like, no, I shouldn't notice a cut. Yeah. You know, and that's, and that's how it should be. Right. We shouldn't notice the cuts. Yeah. So yeah, like I definitely think we can revisit this. Um, mm-hmm. You know, so thank you for coming on and, and it was my pleasure and, and talking with this. Definitely. I do want to ask you future tour dates for the universal friend. I have nothing on the schedule yet. I'm hoping to talk about the etern- talking about Eternal somewhere at some point, but nothing, nothing yet. But you know, uh, I'm I'm around. Absolutely. <laughs> you know what? Between that and Hawkeye, I'm sure. Oh yeah. I'm sure you'll be on the. Oh yeah, we've got a bunch of Hawkeye pods. episodes coming. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm excited. Two weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. But if you want to find the pod, Trey, me, even friend Daniel, you can look up our social media at MCU need to know on both Instagram and Twitter, MCU need to know at gmail.com. Uh, we have our discord that you can join. You can find friend Daniel there. Friend Daniel's also same thing, Instagram and Twitter. Of course, the best thing you could do for us is share with a friend. It's so weird without Trey. And I'm just going to say this, like doing all of it. And I just said, <laughs> Screw it. I'm just going to go for it uh, and do that. Well, you, did, you, you forgot something, Jude. Um, when you get into social media, don't forget to hit the roll assign so you can access the spoiler channels because there's a lot of great stuff in there. And tell a friend, but also leave a rating review. really helps out the podcast and gets, gets, your, gets your voices out there. So please, please do that. See, look at that. You mm-hmm. you really could replace one of us. Mm-hmm. Look at that. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and of course, we'd like to thank Nick Sandy for his rendition of the Avengers theme, which is what we use for our theme song. Please check him out on his SoundCloud and Instagram, both photography and music. Okay, I think that'll do it. Uh, thank you for listening, and thank you for doing this, Daniel. Thank you, Jude. And we'll see you. I will see you next week. You're like, I don't know what I'm saying. I have no clue. I have no idea. (laughs) I'm just trying. I'm going to (sighs) stop. Okay. Sorry. Dude, I've never done this before. The only time I've ever done it. Welcome. You've never done the intro? The only time I did the intro was on the, uh, the, um,
the uh, <clears throat> meta episode, and that was a joke. We might have to make it okay. a joke. So I'm ready. Okay, cool. Um, and then I'm willing to do one of the outros, but I don't have the script. I don't either. So when we um, get to it, I can just fake it. Okay, like, I'll be on it, and you can probably tell, every time I do my part... You make it up. I make it up new every <laughs> single time. Trey is so, like, he's very much gotta have everything, like, ready to go, and, like... <laughs> yeah. Very but, organized. And that's also, that's also Trey's, like, even when he was streaming, like... This is his personality. His, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You and I are like, teachers. <laughs> just make it up. Like, <laughs> oh man, it's so good.